This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. We begin with breaking details about a disturbing crime in Stanley Park overnight. Vancouver's crown jewel, Tinder Dry right now. And major crimes investigators are looking into multiple fires set over the last 24 hours. Our Krista Dow is live in Stanley Park with more. And Krista, the seriousness of this situation can't be emphasized enough. Sophie, there is a heightened level of concern here in Stanley Park. The park, as we know, extremely dry right now. And it doesn't take much for a small fire to spread and cause extensive damage. Now, those suspicious fires now under the scope of the Vancouver police. So what do we know about these suspicious fires? Vancouver Fire telling us that just before 7.30 a.m. this morning, crews were called for reports of a fire close to the Stanley Park entrance near Second Beach. No fire was found, but witnesses described seeing someone deliberately trying to light a fire in the park. Vancouver Fire also telling me there was another fire reported last night in Stanley Park. That was also deemed suspicious. It's believed to have been small in scope, but we don't yet have any details on where and when it happened. Stanley Park crews were out today doing preventative work, using water cannons to hose down trees. Vancouver police tell us they're working their leads. What we dealt with this morning was a suspicious fire um, near the parking lot at Second Beach. I can tell you that uh, VFRS, Vancouver Fire Rescue Services, contacted us when their crews responded to a suspicious fire. We sent patrol units out into the area to try to locate a suspect, but uh, unfortunately we were not able to do that. So we'll continue to investigate. As with all arsons and suspicious fires, uh, this one will be reviewed by our major crime section. And we do have um, our mounted unit, um, which does actively patrol the parks. Uh, patrol Stanley Park uh, and the trails in the park. Conditions being as hot and dry as they are when there's somebody who's um, deliberately setting fires, it's a huge public safety risk. Now, Sophie, the Vancouver Park Board urging vigilance among park users uh, due to that extreme fire risk and are urging everybody to be on alert as we head into what's typically the hottest month of the year. So uh, lots of concern right now in Stanley Park, Sophie. I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that. Krista Dow reporting live in Stanley Park tonight. Well, there are hundreds of wildfires burning across the province right now, and history suggests things could get worse with no rain in the forecast. As Aaron MacArthur reports, attention has now turned to a wildfire about 100 kilometers west of Lillooet, which has taken a turn for the worse. The flames burned right down to the water's edge. The owners of 200 properties on the shores of Gun Lake forced to leave Tuesday evening under a mandatory evacuation order. The regional district confirming fewer than five homes have been lost to the fire, but there are concerns up to a dozen may be impacted. We have been hearing reports that there are more properties that have been damaged or destroyed, but we haven't got confirmation on that based on our staff being unable to access some of those areas uh, due to the ongoing hazards. 
Structure protection crews were on scene overnight at Gun Lake. The Downton Lake fire is still threatening the predominantly recreational properties. The concern is afternoon winds that have led to aggressive fire behavior over the last few days. It's steep, it's rocky terrain. Uh, the, the terrain features are extremely challenging to be able to utilize heavy equipment. Downton Lake, just one of a handful of fires that are threatening communities across BC. As of right now, 361 fires are burning, 13 of them considered fires of note. The total burned area in BC this year, just more than 15 and a half thousand square kilometers. While crews from around the world are in BC to help with this record setting fire season, the death of two firefighters in just a couple of weeks is taking a heavy toll on everyone in the BC Wildfire Service. I have never felt the heaviness uh, that we are feeling this season and our people are, are continuing to show up every day. August remains a dangerous month with the potential for new fire starts. Typically considered the hottest, driest month of the year, it also sits just behind July for the number of lightning strikes expected. Evacuation orders and alerts in the Squamish-Lillooet Regional District have been extended to La Joy Lake and Tyoton Lake as well as the Tyax Resort. Once it's safe to access the area, the Regional District says it will have a better handle on the scope of the property damage. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, after a terrifying few days for the residents of Osuyus, the threat from the Eagle Bluff fire is easing, but it's not completely in the clear yet. Cassidy Moscone has been in Osuyus all week and joins us now. Cassidy, what can you tell us about concerns that a valuable resource is not being utilized? Yes, Sophie. First Nations members of the community tell us that cultural burning might have helped ease some of the fuel load there that our firefighters have been dealing with on the ground. Crews from across the province and the United States have been tackling this blaze for about five days now in what have been some incredibly hot, dry and challenging conditions. Fighting fire with fire. Canadian and American crews working together to take on Mother Nature. Two countries, one mission to keep people safe. Got to be thankful for the firefighters for doing what they do because it's, it's a dangerous job and it's a thankless job. Today, firefighters swapped the hose for drip torches, intentionally igniting unburnt brush to starve the wildfire of fuel and strengthen containment lines. It's a similar method used by First Nations members in cultural burns. We keep telling the government, let us do our traditional burns. This would never happen if we were able to do our traditional burns. It wouldn't burn so hot, it wouldn't burn so long, and it wouldn't burn the animals that are stuck within these confinements of the fire. In a statement, BC Wildfire Service told Global News cultural burning is not prohibited, but the use of fire is banned generally at certain times of the year. The service says it intends to work with Indigenous peoples to co-develop a program for cultural burning. The people here that live here in Richter Pass know these mountains better than anybody and they're the ones who will be able to tell them where to set the fires, where to start them, which way the wind is going to blow, because this is where they've lived their whole life. 
Closer to town, helicopters dumped water, firefighters sprayed retardant. Signs the firefight still rages on. As it stands, the fire has burned through more than 3,000 hectares. Still, just under 50 properties remain under that evacuation order and just under 500 remain on alert. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Cassidy Moscone reporting for us in Asuyus. Well, firefighters were in court, in Courtney rather, have been busy with a pair of house fires. This fire sent flames high into the sky around this time last evening. It was the second fire in the community yesterday. An older two-story house on Aerosmith Avenue caught fire as well. Flames destroying the roof before firefighters could arrive. The roofing was cedar shake, which firefighters say contributed to the speed of the fire's growth. Four people inside managed to get out unharmed. The fire did appear to start in the uh, bathroom area and uh, pretty much just got into the attic space and quickly progressed. I heard a little bit of a bang and then it was a slight smell of smoke and then my wife said she smelled a little bit of smoke. I went to investigate and the ceiling fan had broken into two. One part on the floor was on fire and then where the mechanical part was was on fire. I ran downstairs to get a fire extinguisher, ran upstairs, did what I could while my wife was on the phone with 911. As soon as it exhausted the extinguisher, I went and got the kids out as quick as we could and waited. The owners are also happy. The firefighters managed to rescue a mannequin from the home. Well, with conditions getting drier by the day, fire officials are urging smokers more than ever to stop throwing their butts on the ground. But as Kristen Robinson reports, as potentially serious as that can be, at least in the city of Vancouver, enforcement and punishment doesn't appear to be a high priority. It's not hard to find smokers tossing their butts all over town. The city of Vancouver says nearly one million cigarette butts are littered every day. Very against it, and I'm a smoker. It's really uh, annoying. It's just like littering, uh, but the worst case. Tossing cigarette butts on the ground in Vancouver is considered littering and subject to fines between $100 and $10,000 under the street and traffic bylaw. 13 $250 littering fines were issued last year, while four fines were handed out in the first six months of 2023. The city unable to say how many were specifically for tossing butts. That's uh, kind of a joke. You know, the city's focus is really on education over enforcement because what we want to do is uh, try to encourage people to either carry a cigarette pouch or discard of those cigarettes responsibly. The city has installed 68 butt bins in the downtown core including this broken one on Granville Street, which had two butts inside. I definitely think that we could come up with a better place for people to put them. It's not that difficult to put it in the trash or like in a designated area. So I think people should just be smarter. Cigarette butts leach a toxic cocktail of chemicals like arsenic and lead, and the filters contain microplastics, which take decades to decompose, negatively impacting marine life. The average time that they take to really break down is 30 years. So that's a long time. And while they are in the environment, you know, they can really be impacting microorganisms or the invertebrate fish. Carelessly discarded smoking material, also the number one cause of fires in the city. Last month in North Vancouver, 
This fire erupted in a backyard more than six hours after a lit cigarette was left there. And it's the equivalent of throwing, you know, garbage out the window where you don't often see that happening. It's the same thing of throwing garbage out, you're throwing a cigarette butt out. It is garbage, but now has the potential for igniting uh, combustibles. And I'll carry a butt for blocks before I find the trash. It's disgusting. The city hoping smokers will do what Jim Anderson does or use a free pocket ashtray, 30,000 of which have been distributed since 2019. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Well, it has been a summer of navigating rough waters for BC ferries. Ferry troubles, staffing shortages, and a communications fiasco, all testing the patience of British Columbians. Our Richard Zussman is live with more on how the company is hoping a number of changes will help to right that ship before the busiest weekend of the year. Richard. It's been rough seas, Sophie, and this is the calm before the storm. Drivers getting on board for the 6 o'clock without much wait. But if you don't have a reservation, things are about to get very difficult starting tomorrow. Set up here now as we have two of the officers. It's BC Ferries Nerve Centre, keeping a close watch on a system preparing for a busy long weekend and dealing with frayed nerves of many passengers. We plan for every vessel to be in service running at full capacity. Each day, this BC Day long weekend, almost 1,800 team members are going to be on board our ships. It's all hands and ships on deck. BC Ferry CEO Nicholas Jimenez providing a rare press conference, coming following a summer so far full of rocky seas. We've had a number of frustrating events happen over the summer. Reservations for this upcoming weekend on the main routes almost all sold out. Even so, there are changes coming. Critical support team members will be on standby if there are staff shortages. Virtual rating rooms will now be in place for those few remaining online bookings. Online storage capacity has been added and pricing incentives are in place for the few low demand times left. While Ferries is replacing seals on all propeller blades rather than just leaking seals. If you come on a Friday at you know between 10 and 2 o'clock, you know, you need to expect that you're going to wait. We can't tell them whether it's one or two or three sailings. Staffing problems and mechanical failures have largely been to blame this summer, but so have technical problems, including the ferry's website. BC Ferries continues to operate, um, you know, in a technology that is not, not relevant anymore. Whether you've got information on a website that's up for hours at a time, giving inaccurate information. This weekend, ferries expects 508,000 passengers and 210,000 vehicles. And from April 1st to June 30th, ferries welcomed on board 5.8 million passengers, a first quarter record, including 2.5 million vehicles, another record. Walk-on traffic up as well, and ferries trying to make it more comfortable for those travellers often jammed into outdated waiting rooms. And we're having tents for shade or, if it does rain, for rain coverage. And we'll have entertainment out there and services for them. All right, then. Well, uh, Richard, we've also heard concerns about commercial vehicles taking up valuable deck space at peak times. What's being done to address that? 
BC Ferries is working with those commercial partners, Sophie, to encourage them to travel on those non-peak hours to get the maximum number of vehicles and passengers on board these sailings through the next four or five days. Also, if you don't have a reservation for the next few days, the encouragement continues to be to walk on. And the expectation is, at least here in Swartzbank, Tawasson, those parking lots will likely fill up so you can take public transit or get someone to drop you off. And for the first time in a long time, they're encouraging walk-ons to actually make a reservation that you can do so free for a number of sailings throughout the weekend. So VC Ferries encouraging anyone who is traveling, car, otherwise make that reservation to make things a little simpler on what's going to be a potential record-breaking, very busy long weekend. Which we, of course, will be covering. All right, thanks for that, Richard. <laughs> yes. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. And Keith, this isn't just a this weekend problem. It's not just a long weekend problem. Uh, it's been an ongoing problem of late with ferries. What do they need to do going forward? I've just lost my IFB there. Uh-oh. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So first of all, this very unusual news conference. We really haven't seen a CEO of VC Ferries out in front of the media since the days of David Hahn. And he never really had news conferences. He was just doing individual media hits. This is a reflection, I think, of a new style of leadership under Nicholas Jimenez uh, you're going to see going forward. He made the point today, uh, these are not short-term fixes. The problems at VC Ferries are like never before, and it's going to take a long time to fix them. Here's the CEO. This company is, is, in a, is in a difficult space, uh, and it's, it's, it's the industry, and I represent the company in this industry. Uh, we've identified that we've got a number of problems that need to be addressed. These are not short-term fixes. When we think about our crewing challenges, you know, and, and it's not just about hiring people, it's about training people, and it's about providing the right uh, environment, changing the culture. All of that is going to take time. And it's probably going to take a long time. We're talking about some really deep-rooted problems when it comes to staffing and training. I have a feeling you're going to see the new CEO out in front of the media a lot more often than his predecessor as these problems are continue to fester right through the summer and likely into next year as well. Uh, communication is always a good thing. All right, yeah. thanks for that, Keith Baldry and Victoria. Good news in the search for a missing person in Delta. How they managed to find the person with some high-tech help in just over a minute. Personal news from a very public couple. The separation of Justin and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau. Plus. <laughs> Our own Catherine Urquhart gets the assignment of the day, marking the wooden coaster's big birthday. That's still to come tonight. First, though, a happy ending to a search for a missing person in Delta thanks to drone technology. As Janet Brown reports, Delta police say the story could have turned out much differently without the use of modern technology. I'm taking off. It's an eye in the sky for Delta police, a new tool for search and rescue, or looking for those with dementia or Alzheimer's who have wandered off. An $80,000 drone. Equipped with a zoom camera, infrared technology, and a spotlight, making it possible to find people at night. The drone allows us to get up very quickly and then get a lens on an open area or an area um, rapidly. And then from there we can narrow our search down or we can go out and, and find them in a specific area. Technology is pretty amazing to have something up that uh, gets that point of view to 
see what's going on. The new drone proved invaluable when a person with medical issues complicated by dementia-like symptoms walked out of Delta Hospital a few days ago. After leaving the hospital grounds, the missing person crossed the roadway, went through a park, and then walked into this dense brush area just behind me. But searching on foot proved extremely difficult because of the dense terrain. But once the new drone was brought in, Searching was easy and the person was found a short time later. Police do admit there have been concerns raised over privacy. We don't and will not fly it randomly looking for crime. There has to be a specific use for it. The Alzheimer's Society of BC says the new drone will be helpful, but they also say there are broader questions around reducing the risks people with dementia and others are facing. It's more than just a conversation around technology. We need to talk about education. We need to talk about mitigation strategies and how our communities and our hospitals are designed. And we need to talk about specific plans we can put in place for each individual. Police say this drone is a game changer for the lost or missing, able to spot people from kilometers away at all hours of the day. Janet Brown, Global News. Up next, peak frustration for a small business owner. It's difficult to stay in business when you get beat over the head so many times. After years of break-ins, why he's speaking out now. Also ahead. You can't do this to the Indigenous artists right across Canada. Allegations of plagiarism. The Sasquatch Prince at the centre of a lawsuit. Good evening and good news. Traffic is steady once again over here at the Patello Bridge after clearing a police incident southbound at mid-span. Today's lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $36 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison at Global One at the Patello Bridge. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A Vancouver Island business owner says he's fed up with the repeated thefts from his store. He's been broken into so many times he can't even get insurance anymore. And he believes it'll keep on happening until stiffer penalties are handed out to the criminals. Kylie Stanton reports. In a matter of minutes, this thief walks up, breaks through the storefront window and into the display cases, emptying each one in broad daylight. In 25 years, this is my 19th break-in. Despite several layers of security, the thefts are only becoming more brazen. The past three incidents alone, costing the gold-silver guy a total of $75,000. October, January, and just last week, out of all of that, now I can't buy insurance because I'm too much of a risk. So that is 100% my loss. It's the reality many business owners are up against as property crime continues to rise. And that's very alarming because, you know, we're trying to uh, revitalize our downtown. And if these are the conditions that businesses are facing, uh, that really threatens that, that whole culture. 
For months, the Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association has been calling on higher levels of government to take action. Enough is enough! Keep violent offenders in custody in order to reduce the risk of public harm. The system has to catch up and it has to make the changes that are appropriate for uh, everybody to, to, to be able to have their needs met. But the now boarded up windows at the Gold Silver Guys Duncan location still an all too common sight. It's stuff that should never happen on the main street like this. It's a lose-lose situation. Of the 19 break-ins, this was the first time Ross was able to recover anything that was stolen. And that total is only about $80. There's no penalty, there's no, no reason for a person not to steal. And at some point, there will be no reason to keep these doors open at all. It's difficult to stay in business when you get beat over the head so many times. Kylie Stanton, Global News. An Indigenous artist alleges one of his designs was plagiarized by a souvenir store in the Upper Fraser Valley. As Global's Grace Key reports, the company that sells the piece is taking the store to court. Coast Salish artist and master carver Francis Horn says his grandfather told him stories of Sasquatch, a cousin of their people who protects the land. My grandfather, he told me, if you see one, you don't ever tell anybody. And I realize to this day why, because people think you're crazy. He created this design 11 years ago. You can imagine his surprise when he walked into a souvenir shop in Harrison Hot Springs last summer to find a t-shirt with a similar design. I stepped in the door and right in front of me was my Sasquatch design, or so I thought until I had a closer look and I realized that it wasn't my design. Somebody had taken it and manipulated it to make it look like they had created a new one, but using all the same designs. I couldn't eat after that. I was, um, I could really feel it in the pit of my stomach. Francis's design is on the left, the stores on the right. His art is sold by Native Northwest. The Indigenous wholesaler has filed a statement of claim against Bruce and Fiona Fearon and Sasquatch gifts and souvenirs based on copyright infringement laws. They have yet to respond to the claim. When we do things, people don't understand that culturally it covers a whole series of things, like different songs and that that go culturally with the Sasquatch or with the dances that we do, it's important that these things don't be copied. The United States has the Indian Arts and Crafts Act. It's illegal to sell a product that falsely suggests it's Indian produced or an Indian product. There is no similar law in Canada. Protection is under copyright laws. The message that we want to get across is, is that, you know, we need to stand up for our rights. It's the principle of the matter. The t-shirts are no longer in the store. When Global News called the business, a woman said she was the new owner and had purchased the store in November. Grace Key, Global News. Up next, the Trudeaus announced their separation. The statements from the Prime Minister and his wife. What happens next for the family? Plus, if I could today sit here and tell you that I was 280 pounds again, but I wasn't sick, I would be happy. A first-hand warning about the potentially serious side effects of a popular diabetes drug. Good evening from the Massey Tunnel, where counterflow is out and southbound traffic is still slow on the approach from north of Steveston Highway. Help police keep BC's roads safe by being a responsible driver. If you've had something to drink, don't drive because safer roads start with you. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel.
Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his wife Sophie Gregoire Trudeau have announced they are going their separate ways. Global's Mackenzie Gray has more on their years together and their decision to separate. After 18 years of marriage, one of Canada's most high-profile couples are breaking up. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Sophie Gregoire Trudeau announced in near-simultaneous Instagram posts that after many meaningful and difficult conversations, we have made the decision to separate. As always, we remain a close family with deep love and respect for each other and for everything we have built and will continue to build. The Prime Minister's office added they both signed a legal separation agreement. The couple met after co-hosting a fundraising gala in the early 2000s when Gregoire Trudeau worked as a television reporter. For the Prime Minister, it was love at first sight. And at the end of the first date, I told her, uh, we're just going to have to skip uh, dating, skip boyfriend and girlfriend, go straight to fiancé because I'm going to spend the rest of my life with you. That became a reality in 2005 when the pair married in a glitzy Montreal ceremony, which created substantial buzz for the pre-politics Trudeau. Once he was elected as an MP, Gregoire Trudeau often appeared with her husband publicly, despite having reservations about him joining political life. She realized that um, it would mean you know, lots of sacrifices uh, for us as a family, for her as an individual. She had all sorts of dreams and things that she wanted to do, and she knew that she would have to put part of them aside. Gregoire Trudeau played a key role in her husband becoming Liberal leader in his 2015 election win, leading the political power couple to often travel together on international trips, where she used her position to advocate for mental health and women's issues. For a society to be prosperous and more just and more peaceful, women and girls must be educated. Gregoire Trudeau campaigned extensively for her husband in 2019 and occasionally in 2021 and was very visible in promoting public health measures during COVID-19. She was also on the Prime Minister's disastrous trip to India. They invited you. And the pair were criticized for vacationing in Tofino, British Columbia on the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Trudeau's three children will continue to live at Rideau Gate, as will the Prime Minister. Gregoire Trudeau will get an additional house but is expected to be back at the official residence with her children regularly and staying there when the Prime Minister is travelling. Despite the separation, Trudeau's office says both parents will continue to be a constant presence in their kids' lives, including a planned family vacation starting next week. Mackenzie Gray, Global News, Ottawa. Preparations are underway for yet another court appearance by former U.S. President Donald Trump. Security precautions are being taken and a few demonstrators are already showing up outside the Washington, D.C. courthouse where Trump is scheduled to be arraigned on Thursday. He faces four felony charges accused of conspiring to overturn the 2020 election. His defense attorneys are arguing the charges violate his right to free speech. Trump's former vice president today was very blunt in his reaction to the indictment. I want the American people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. And then on that day, President Trump asked me to put him over the Constitution. But I chose the Constitution, and I always will. I mean, I, I, uh, I really do believe that uh, anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. Few prescription drugs have received as much attention as Ozempic in recent years. It's been linked to celebrities and has some serious side effects. A Toronto woman claims she has suffered life-altering issues because of it, even though she says she used it properly. Global's Nathaniel Dove has more.
Some weeks I can vomit up to 200 times. Five years ago, Emily Wright's doctor prescribed Ozempic for her type 2 diabetes. She says she's lost around 150 pounds, but now is living with a paralyzed stomach. Ozempic has ruined my understanding of food and my relationship with food, and I have no understanding or knowledge of you know when I'm going to get better. She's often bedridden, can barely eat, and needs a nurse to administer fluids three times a week. Wright believes the symptoms are connected to using Ozempic. Patients are losing weight on it. The drug's popularity soared when celebrities said it helped them lose weight or when they were accused of taking it. Wright stresses she used Ozempic for their prescribed purpose. This diabetes researcher says gastrointestinal effects like Wright's happen to a small amount of people. He hopes the negative tales don't undermine the benefits for many patients. The GI side effects, they are real. A lot of people will get them, but generally they're not going to cause people to um, be unable to take the medication. Other concerns have emerged, including some claims it may lead to suicidal thoughts. Health Canada says it is conducting a safety review of Ozempic and similar types of medicines, as are several other countries. In a statement, Ozempic's maker says patient safety is of the utmost importance and that it remains confident in the drug's benefit-risk profile. Wright has been in and out of hospital and can't work. She wants a cure and says the weight loss wasn't worth it. If I could today sit here and tell you that I was 280 pounds again, but I wasn't sick, I would be happy. Nathaniel Dove, Global News. Still to come, riding the rails of BC history. It can be said that you're not truly a Vancouverite or a British Columbian unless you've ridden the Playland Wooden Roller Coaster. Celebrating the coaster's special day later. Plus, there's a lot of girls out there who can be just as good at playing basketball. Encouraging girls to stay in sport. How one program is creating a safe space and empowering young women on and off the court. I yawned during the break, and now it's Contagious. making rounds throughout the newsroom. Oh, oh is Yvonne. it the heat? Do you think it's the heat? It's the end of the day, is what it is. Yeah, it's yeah, my Friday, but not everybody else's. No, right? Not mine. We're getting close. Oh, oh, Yvonne. All right, what's going on with the weather? Okay, uh, we still have uh, the heat. It's going to be even hotter in the coming days. Dry, no precipitation. The drought continues, and we've got some instability this evening, and I'll show you where in just a moment. Quick glance outside, we actually had a fair bit of cloud cover through the day. A weak front just passed along the southern half of the province, so it's mainly cloudy out there. A clearing on the way overnight, and we're back into some sunshine for tomorrow. A few other spots and highs through the day today, though, it was hot. Into the low 30s throughout much of the interior, even Nelson today getting up to 36 degrees, and it'll even be hotter as we get in towards the weekend. Now, the areas of concern, still a severe thunderstorm watch in effect for the northeastern corners. Fort Nelson, we're also seeing it across the central interior, including Prince George. We do have some lightning strikes. We could see large hail, gusty winds and intense downpours and that should start to ease off late this evening or through the evening and then that instability picks up once again for tomorrow. We do still have a smoky skies bulletin. The following areas impacted over the next 24 and 48 hours and those with respiratory issues will want to try and limit the amount of time spent outdoors. We're still seeing local to widespread smoke through many areas into the southern half of the province. Here's a peek at the temperatures. So we are going to see that 
bump up in towards the weekend for the interior. We'll be into the 30s, mid 30s for a few spots, and most areas along the south coast will still track that heat for both days out of the weekend. A reminder, high to extreme, especially for the southeastern corners, fire danger rating. We're not tracking any precipitation. Northern half of the province up to 19. That risk of a thunderstorm moves in once again across the central interior. Smoke for the southern half of the province. All areas along the south coast will continue to track dry, hot conditions away from the water tomorrow. 29 with the Humidex, it's going to feel like 32. The weekend hot and dry and into early next week. Maybe a bit of a reprieve as we look ahead towards our Tuesday. Wednesday, here's a great shot that was captured of the supermoon last night. This was captured by Beverly in White Rock. Guys? Lovely and big. All right, thanks, Yvonne. All right, Jay, sorry. Did you get your yawns out? Guilty as charged. <laughs> so brought on the yawns for it, all of us. It was my fault. Uh, I tell you, there's no yawning in the Whitecaps office. Final day before Major League Soccer's transfer window closes, and the Whitecaps were busy today. Richie Larea is a member of the Whitecaps, and it looks like Sam Atacube is about to come home as well. We'll discuss coming up in sports. Thank you, Jay. Also ahead tonight, she's been the site of marriages, first dates, a lot of double dares, 65 years of ups and downs on the famed wooden roller coaster. All right, Double J's in for Esquire tonight. Yes, and we have some news from Simon Fraser University. Thanks, Soph. Good evening, everybody. SFU's embattled athletic director Teresa Hansen and the school have parted ways. A press release on the school's website saying... After careful consideration and discussion, Teresa Hansen, Senior Director of Athletics and Recreation, and SFU have come to a mutual agreement that the time is right for a change in directions within athletics and recreation. That change is effective as of today. Hansen has been on the really job since excited. 2015, but her legacy as SFU's Athletic Director will be forever tarnished for her in the school's handling of cancelling the storied football program. It was a decision that brought about court action and serious pushback from alumni and sponsors. SFU says further details on uh, steps and an interim leader of athletics and recreation will be shared as soon as possible. But Teresa Hansen is out as SFU's athletic director. Vancouver Whitecaps with a couple significant signings. Today, center back Ranko Veselinovic signing a new deal that will keep him with the Whitecaps through 2026 season. The club does have an option for 2027. The big signing is wingback Richie Larea. Caps acquiring the services of the talented Canadian on loan from Nottingham Forest of the English Premier League where he helped them earn promotion. The loan is for the remainder of this calendar year, but it's believed the Whitecaps will try to sign Larea when the loan is complete. Caps also are on the verge of bringing back Sam Atacube He'll be coming back home to the Whitecaps. I would give the Caps two starters from Canada's World Cup team in their lineup. The Atacube announcement is expected to be made tomorrow morning. I'll tell you, the Larea signing is going to be a popular one for uh, Whitecaps supporters. 28-year-old made his mark with Toronto FC over the years as one of the best fullbacks in the league. He's also a stalwart for Canada's national team since the end of 2021. He's played in every single game for our national side, and that includes all three World Cup games for Canada last season. Opening round of the Women's World Cup just continues to deliver the upset. South Africa met Italy early this morning. The Italians just needed a draw to get through. South Africa never won a game at the Women's World Cup, but 31st minute, an own goal gets South Africa on the scoreboard, and then they would claim victory and add it on time. They scored a couple of beauties. Sends the Italians reeling out of the World Cup. South Africa advances for the first time ever 
and they will meet the Netherlands next. Hey, if you thought that result was huge, watch how Jamaica and Brazil unfolded today. The Jamaican women needed crowdfunding to make it to their World Cup. It's just their second World Cup ever. Of course, the Brazilians led by mighty Marta. She had a couple of chances, but this is likely her sixth and final World Cup. She was subbed off in the 80th minute, and that was it for Marta, and it was it for Brazil as well. As the reggae girls drew Brazil today, nil-nil, and that sends Brazil out of the World Cup, their earliest exit since 1995, as Jamaica reaches the knockout stage in just their second World Cup. Just a great story today. Sweden topped Group G, by the way, with their 2-0 victory over Argentina. The Americans are going to have their hands full in the round of 16. They will get Sweden. And France wins Group F as they waxed Panama today 6-3. All right, if you have a young daughter at home, this story is for her. Future Bounce Basketball is Vancouver's only female-run, female-focused, subsidized basketball program. It's founded and coached by the women of today who are doing their best to empower the women of tomorrow. Right, Leah? Nice. Good. Simple words of encouragement that just hit different when it comes from someone you can relate to. All girls just makes me feel like I fit in more. Creating a safe space for young girls to learn to play basketball nice. is just one of the reasons why Future Bounce launched in 2020. A group of women coaching in Strathcona saw a void and an opportunity to create something special. There was a need for more sports for girls. There was a need for affordable sports programs and there was a need for having inclusive programs for all skill levels. It's challenging, but I still like, it's still fun because we play games, but we also do drills sometimes. The evolution of the program has even led to the development of young coaches. Coaches are gonna go around and try and knock your ball. Being in a community where it's led by like all women, like powerful women, it's, it's just really empowering for myself. Handling and trying her best to make her layups and that goes to Amaya. When I first joined basketball, I was playing with guys because there weren't many girls who played. So if I had this growing up, oh, it'd be so much easier. In the same year that Future Bounce began, a report from Canadian Women in Sport revealed that one in three girls drop out of sports between the ages of 16 and 18, while only one in 10 boys would quit sports at that same age. Future Bounce is working to change that number by changing the culture where even co-ed programs are usually run by men. A lot of the focus is on the boys, um, but just seeing this group, all girls, it was definitely refreshing. We think it's really important for people to be able to see themselves in their role models, and so that's why we try our best to find the best people, the best coaches, and we have an amazing group of coaches here today to be able to embody that for the girls. Maybe one of these future stars will follow in Coach Bernie's footsteps and go on to play for a university. It would have helped me realize that, you know, girls can do this too. Like, there's a lot of girls out there who can be just as good at playing basketball. One, two, bounce! What a great story. That's what we do. We love doing our local amateur stories. Holinka Gretzky, U18, kept from Slovakia. Another route for Canada today. They beat the hosts 14-4 yesterday. Shut out Switzerland today. Another two-goal performance for team captain Berkeley Catton. Three games in three days for Canada. Boys are rounding the form. 4-0 final. They will uh, take on... Uh, I've got to wait to see who they're playing on Friday. They don't know yet, but they're off to the semifinals on Friday. All right. Thank you, Jay. Up next, the famed wooden roller coaster turns 65. And what a ride it's been. Jordan Armstrong here now with a look ahead to...
at 11 tonight, Jordan. Sophie, we're getting reaction to a story Jay covered in sports. The departure of SFU's athletic director. Tonight, we're hearing from the president of the Football Alumni Society. Also tonight, disturbing allegations against a now ex-journalist, the public broadcaster Vincent Papakwash, was arrested over the weekend. And the BC Prosecution Service confirms he now faces two charges, sexual assault and sexual interference, for allegedly touching a person under the age of 16. Until early this week, he worked at the CBC in Vancouver. We'll have more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie. All right, thanks, Jordan. Well, the wooden roller coaster has long been considered the star attraction at the PNE. This year, it's celebrating its 65th birthday. As Catherine Urquhart reports, recent restoration work means it'll still be around to entertain thrill seekers for generations to come. <laughs> It was 1957 when construction started on Playland's world-famous wooden roller coaster. Built with Douglas fir, it cost $200,000 and opened in 1958. An estimated 32 million have ridden the coaster, which just underwent a $2 million restoration that included the installation of more than 12,000 feet of lumber. Its 65th year is being recognized with a special hot dog. It is dressed with hickory sticks on the top to commemorate the pieces of Douglas fir wood that went into building the roller coaster. The dog, which fortunately is not allowed on the coaster, will be wrapped in a copy of the Vancouver Sun's front page from 1958, which featured the ride. And there's a limited edition anniversary offer for $65, $20 over the regular cost. You can get early entry, a behind the scenes look at the roller coaster, along with mini donuts. And the best part, you'll be front of the line for this. Also marking the occasion, the ride's original architectural blueprints were donated to Playland by designer Carl Fair's family. The original 1957 architectural drawings that were registered here at the city of Vancouver and on which it was built for the next six months. This wooden roller coaster, a rich part of BC history, enjoyed by generations past and sure to thrill countless more in the years ahead. Thank you for writing. Global News. It's not good for tall people. Yvonne and I wouldn't know. But. Yeah. It's, it's hard on the lower back. Let's yeah. put it that way. And it feels like you're going to get thrown right out. Yeah, but that, uh, so. and then like for Sophie and I too, we feel like we're, you know, we really got to hang on. <laughs> Sophie, we got to get you and Squire on there with the hot dog. Come on. I yeah. would eat that hot dog. Yeah. The hickory sticks. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, had me at hickory sticks. Yummy. Our quick word on the weather, Yvonne. Uh, it's going to be hot in the coming days and the stretch continues all the way in towards the weekend and early next week. All right. Thanks for joining us tonight. Good night, all.